please note, we are not giving expert medical advice. Our content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. If you do need to talk to someone, please look in the show notes where you'll find helpline phone numbers. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Series 2, Episode 9 of We Are All A Bit Mental. It's a chat show where we aim to question and challenge the rather wonderfully complex and often slippery subject of mental health. I'm Chesney Hawkes, and today I'm nicely snuggled up on our virtual sofa again between Lynn Ferguson and Neil Harrington. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Yeah, all right. Yeah, all right. I had a bit of a chicken evening last night, but I'm okay. <laughs> you always have chicken something. Oh, chicken my incidents God, all over. right? But no, but the deal is I've hatched <laughs> some chickens, right? So there's some chickens who've mm. been hatched, and then when chickens get hatched, they're, you know, it's like anybody. I don't remember. I don't know if you remember being born, but just if you did, <laughs> I you don't have any. Don't no, no. Or but when your children are born, there's like a period of time where they're so full of adrenaline. They're like, what the hell? Well, it's sort of the same <laughs> with chickens, and unfortunately, one of them hatched quite late last night. And it just kept everybody up, like, oh, my God, oh, my God. But that just, like, totally frantic, my God. Yeah. I love it. A new twiddle has emerged. <laughs> Bridget, yeah. her name is Bridget, after my granny. Oh, that's fantastic. So, yeah, so last night we hatched, or yesterday we hatched uh, Peggy, Shelley, Margot and Bridget. That's I love it. New members yeah. of the family. I can't wait to meet them and feed them spaghetti. <laughs> Lots of names to remember. I know, right? It drives Mark crazy. He's like, oh my God, what one's that? I'm like, oh, for God's sake, that's Brady. Can't you tell? How can you not know? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, guys, today's show is on the subject of strength. Mm. So, um, and joining us to... uh, Hey, you know what the score is today talking on strength, right? Because I'm just going to tell you what the topic is, listeners, because Jesney's too tired and too pretty. Yeah, we can keep that in. It's the subject of strength, (laughs) and joining us shortly to discuss that very subject will be my pal Uh, Leslie Ash. Yeah. Leslie Ash. Anyway, you know the really pissy thing about strength? Yeah. Right? The sort of really annoying thing about strength is that you, you only really know how strong you are when you have to use it. Right, like my dad used mm, to say that anybody could be like strong when everything's going their way. He's like anybody, any idiot can be <laughs> can yeah. be contented when everything's going their way. But you, it's only yeah. when you're challenged that you have the opportunity to uh, find. He wouldn't say have opportunity though, my dad. See, it's only when you're having so a hard your, time. So your arm wrestle with with uh, cancer, you would say that that's where your strength really kind yeah. of came into play. Yeah, well, it's yeah. a perspective thing, right? Where you go, like, right, okay, that this is um, this is the chance to see like how resilient I can be. There really have been times. Do you not think that there are moments? I think everybody. I I throw this out to anybody that's listening to this too. Is I I think that there are moments in life that are so extreme for all of us where you go, God, bloody hell, right? Like there's a one catastrophe after another, and then there's one single yeah. moment in it, and you go, Okay, yeah. how am I going to handle this then? And I think that's yeah. when your strength kicks in. That's what I think. But it's how we act I mean, in I adversity, think, isn't yeah. it? Basically, uh, I, I was going to say about the, the the match of 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 the guest of Leslie and the subject of strength. She really has 
had a lot of adversity to deal with over the years, being in the public eye, and um, it's going to be fascinating chatting she to her. All sorts of things. She's had oh, quite a life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, um, you know, battles with the press and the media, battles with the NHS. Yeah, right. um, exactly, all the lawsuits and everything. Do you know why, what shows me how strong she is, though? Is yeah. that you, well, you've talked to her, right? Yeah. You've talked to her before. She's lovely. Yeah. She's like totally a lovely human being, right? Um, and, and she's one of those people that I have in my list of, um, if I don't speak to them for years and then I call them up, the conversation is exactly the same as it was the last time that I spoke to them. Yeah. yeah. Right? But like... Real friend, that I, is. I think that she's incredibly strong in that um, it hasn't changed who she is as a person. She's still lovely. Like I, there are some yeah. things that's happened to her where um, I would be like, I don't know that I would be very much of a people person after, after that. that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, but yeah, she sure. really is. She's, uh, she's just, she's sweet. The one thing, just on the back yeah. of that cancer thing you were saying, I hate to bring up the cancer stuff, but it's a helpful cancer tip, yeah. right? That I would say <laughs> for if you get a loved one, cancer people who've got cancer, guess what? They know. They know they've got cancer when they've been diagnosed, they've been told. So they're like, all right, I've got cancer. Mm. So when you meet them, you don't have to point that out to them, right? So you don't have to go, oh, I hear you've got cancer. Because they already know. They've found that out already. They know it. <laughs> when uh, someone's got something like that, well, certainly for me, what I found uh, useful um, was when people were like, when they go, oh, well, I heard about the news. So uh, what's your plans? What's your <laughs> plans? Right? Because then I'd be like, well, you know, I'm thinking about maybe, you know, I'm going to do this, now I'm going to do that. And then I don't know about that, right? Because what it did was it made me feel like I was an active participant yes. in my own life rather than I'd just been shot on. So I just, but just as a general rule of thumb, if somebody that you know and love and care about has been diagnosed with cancer, they know they've got cancer, so they don't need you to tell them. But what about talking about it, though? Because it's... If know. they want to. You know, like my friend who passed recently, um, by the time that her cancer was discovered, it was uh, it was too late, really. It was yeah. too late to do something. And so whenever... Uh, when I first talked to her about it and, I, and she let me know, I, I called her up and I said, well, welcome to the club that nobody wants to join, Right. <laughs> there is a thing for all of us. Actually, we talked about this in another episode about what we seek is what is normal, you know. Mm. And and uh, we get comfort from what is normal, not from what is abnormal. So if someone's dealing with something that is abnormal, maybe giving them a bit of, like... If, if people want to, like... With the people I know who have cancer, if they want to talk about their cancer, then I'll talk to them about it, for sure. I'm not going to mm. avoid it. Yeah. But... I do equally think that cancer is an illness and people are people, they are human beings. They are not the illness, they are the person. So talk to the person and not the illness. Oh, utterly. I'm going through that with my friend right yeah. now. I totally get understand that. You know, one of the first things I said to him, he said, so when are you buying that Porsche then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or doing Everest or yeah. something, yeah. He's got the Porsche now, by the way. Oh, yeah. Did he? Oh, that's he did, he fantastic. Yeah, second hand, I hope. Did he buy a second hand? <laughs> yeah, one? I think it was, but it's like a dream car, yeah. you know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, I might be terminally ill, but I'm still practical. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. But that's what I mean about talk to the person, not the illness. I think that's really that's a really nice um, observation. Uh, well, look, the the tick has come on, which means that uh, Leslie 
could just pop straight in and might not need any uh, technical assistance. But whatever, we'll figure that out and we will see you right. on the other side of the sting, listeners, with the fabulous Yay. Leslie Ash. Both of us are <laughs> friends yeah. with uh, Fred Molina and Jill Gascoigne. And Jill Gascoigne was, was sort of like a mother to you, wasn't she? Yes. You worked with her, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I worked with her on Cat's Eyes. Yeah. Um, God, I mean, I was about 22, 23 when I started that. And uh, she had, <laughs> she, it was three young girls and Jill. You know, mm. that was, that was the, <laughs> The, the series and so I felt we used, we used to share a Winnebago all of us together um, and um, so no sorry it was just three of us yeah there was um, oh what's her name <laughs> Tracy Louise Ward no. who's Rachel Ward's sister who um, yeah there was her me and, and Jill we used to share this car- up the caravan it was a bit like a caravan it wasn't really <laughs> you're supposed to be telling really. a glamorous showbiz story please let's not have Okay. All right. Well, it's amazing. <laughs> exactly. yeah. And um, I felt I used to feel so sorry for her because she used to have to listen to all our shouting every single day. Um, and she she was sort of, sort of this um, real labourite, you know. And there was Tracy who was just about to get married to um, the Marquis of Worcester and become <laughs> the Marsh Marchioness of Worcester, whose home is Badminton. And there was me, you know, just about to marry, well, not marry, but just started going out with Lee Chapman, who was a, a professional footballer. And, you know, all this angst and anxiety she had to put up with, but she did. She used to give us so much love and, and so much support and, and so much fantastic advice, you mm. know. Um, I, you know, she's greatly missed, but she was like a mother to me. She, you know, sort of showbiz mother because I was so... Oh God! You know, I didn't know what was going to happen, and and oh, was I ever going to work again? And all you know, all these things that actors go through. And she was, of course, you're going to work again. And yeah, you look great. You know, <laughs> all this. <laughs> and no, you haven't got two chins. <laughs> Your stomach doesn't stick out. Because what age were you when you started working? You were really young, like really young. Like weren't four you? when you first started, weren't you? Where do you really? Yeah, well, like, if, you, if you count a fairy liquid commercial. <laughs> I count, I count yeah. a fairy liquid commercial, Damn especially right. now, right? Yeah. If I got a fairy liquid yeah. commercial <laughs> now, like, I would be rocking it. <laughs> I know. It was, it was in black and white, though. That's how old it was. Oh. So um, my kids say to me, oh, mum, you know, you're so uneducated. You just went to tap dancing school, which is probably quite true, actually. <laughs> I went to Italia Conti. I think my mother went to Italia Conti. Did she? Yeah, yeah she I did. Yeah. Well, might have been there with your mum. Well before you. Yeah, yeah it okay. was before you. What was your mum's name then? Carol Dilworth. She she was one of the golden girls on Golden Shot with Bob Monkhouse. Remember that oh show? Oh my God, I used to love like that me too. Yeah. yeah. Bernie the Bull. Yeah. Very, Wasn't yeah. that Bernie the Bull? Yeah. She was one of the very glamorous golden girls with the short skirts and... Uh, you know, uh, flowing blonde hair and all that. So those were yeah. the days, eh, when there was no sexism. <laughs> <laughs> when there was no sexism. <laughs> I know. That, well, that's how I started in the business, basically. All those wonderful. I mean, I remember reading one script, and it, it said. Um, um, what was it? Oh, bit of skirt. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> I'd be called a bit of skirt, a girl with baby. Um, Sounds like Minder, that's the sort of thing that would be in Minder. Yeah. Bit of skirt. Or the yeah. professionals, maybe. Bit of skirt. <laughs> but that's another thing about you with 
uh, strength in that, because um, you've been in the business for a really long time. And I think that there are, like, even just in the time that I've been in, and I didn't come in, I certainly didn't start at four, right? That there are points where I'm like, oh, no, I can't, I'm not going to do it anymore. I can't do this shit anymore. It's, like, relentless. And I, and it seems on the outside, I know it's not true, but it sort of feels on the outside that you kind of sailed through it. Um, yeah, I think it's just, it's the only thing I can do. That is so totally <laughs> not true, because you've written a book. You've written a book. You're funny. You have know, fantastic... But... You and Lee, when it comes to doing bars and restaurants, are bloody fantastic at it. So don't pull that shite with me, Yash. No, no, You can't no, get away no. with that with Lee. Um, no. Yeah, the, I suppose... I suppose I... I sort of grew up in, in the stage where, you know, women didn't have too many choices, you, mm. know, you know, with work. I was the first generation where women weren't just secretaries or mothers or, you know, they, you started to have a bit of choice. Mm. And I literally went to drama school because, yes, I didn't do very well with my education, but um, I always knew I wanted to be an actress, really. So it, it was just... I. I always knew that I was going to be an actress, mm. and so I didn't have any sort of insecurities in, in in that way. And I was incredibly lucky because I sort of like, first of all, after I left Conti's, I sort of fell into modelling because I had a Saturday job in the King's Road, and uh, Jilly Johnson came in with Brian Harris, who was a famous photographer in those days. And but he used to do page three, so I didn't quite. Mm. I was completely flat tested. <laughs> but uh, anyway, she she said, "Oh, Brian would really like to do some pictures of you." I went, "Yeah, but you know, I don't take my top off." And so he said, "No, no, just he knows someone who's starting up an agency who really wants like teenage magazine models and and um, catalog models, you know, like yeah. Grafton and all those catalogs and things." Uh, so I went, yeah, okay. So I literally fell into modelling because I started working. I joined this agency, Freddie's, <laughs> and I started earning money. Mm. And I also started working with people like Ridley Scott, who I did the Levi commercial, Adrian Lyon, who I did the Nivea commercial. Um, God, I, all these amazing photographers as well. So I sort of landed on my feet because I had that girl next door type mm. and I, I knew how to sort of perform I suppose in a way just from my days at Conti's and then from that I got mm. quadrophenia which from then on I didn't I didn't look back I was I was on my my that path, was your that was you your know, big break destiny. wasn't it yeah. yeah it's funny you and I have uh, yeah. um the who um and film in common because I did a film with Roger Daltrey which was my big break oh there you go back when I was like the same age as you were when you did Quadrophenia oh were you 19 when you did yeah we shot it um it came out in 79 but we actually filmed it in 78 so I was actually Mm. 18 when we filmed it um but you know Frank Rodham director one of the best directors around and I've Mm. just blessed you know uh and to do a who movie because at the time they were doing um they did, did Tommy, Tommy didn't yeah, and I thought, oh my god, that you know, that they were casting, and I went up for the audition, went for the callback, and then they, because they, they, they didn't give me the script at first, they just gave me the sides to do the um, screen test, mm. and then when I read the script, I thought, oh god, what a shame, because it had a nude scene in it. Oh wow, did they not tell you? No, no, no. So they they said I got the job, and then I had to get my agents to to phone them up and say, look, she's not going to do it because of the nude scene. And so my, there was this big scene, you know, down the alley, and then they go into a basement, and then there was this nude scene, and I said, oh, it's such a shame, I can't do it. 
and um, so they changed it. Ah, that's how much they wanted you, Leslie. Yeah, to a fully clothed sex scene that <laughs> <laughs> um, has actually been one of the most you know, famous love yeah. scenes, I think, in It's film. such a classic film. And I didn't even have to get my kit off. <laughs> I love that film so much. There's an amazing uh, yeah. fight scene in that, in that film, isn't there, where, I mean, I, I'm sure you were in it, weren't you? You were, like, flipped all over the place and there was, like, people running around and... Yeah, well, that, was, that was the... You know, punching each other and... Frank Rodham, who was um, very much a documentary-style do- um, director, yeah. he'd done Dummy, uh, which was about a deaf, dumb prostitute with Geraldine James, which was amazing. Um, so he sort of got the cast together about three months before we started shooting, because that was the first scene we did down in Brighton, which was the riot right, yeah. scene, when like all these extras all turned up and uh, we had to, to shoot this scene. In it fact, like it was chaos. It was that... <laughs> I'm sure there was it choreography was chaos. there, but it, just, I'm sure, <laughs> but it looked to me like there were well, people actually <laughs> getting involved there. Well, uh, we had... Uh, Peter Braham, who was one of the best stuntmen. And so it was like triple cameras and, and stuff like that. It was enormous. Um, but, you know, yeah, it was very careful. Didn't you get flipped organized. over, like, over someone's head at one point? No, I don't think that was me. Oh, I'm, I'm a, maybe I'm not... <laughs> in like, your dreams. Maybe that's what it was, yeah. Toya <laughs> was in Quadrophenia as well, right, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, yes, yeah. Of course. God, I had no idea about that. Two about yes. Was that the start of the year of hell? Like, because you had a period of time where just, like, it was like... Just, there was a point when I was like, oh, come on, how much more shit can you throw at this one? Yeah, that being? was the... 2001, we had the, the, the amazing um, lip thing, you know, when everyone was calling me a, a fish. So um, What it was, it was very silly, really. I, I mean, it was a, a friend of mine whose mother was a surgeon in Venezuela... And uh, she said, oh, her mother had, had done her lips, in, injectables. It was just when they first started, when they first, you know, people started getting them. And, uh, but this lasted for two mm. years. And you see, I, I, th- I thought, oh, well, that, that's quite good. So I had it done once and it just looked fantastic. Mm. You, you know, I thought it looked really good. So she said, oh, she's coming over again. Do you want to top up? And I said, yeah, okay. And um, she used something completely different. She used an industrial polymer. Oh, for- Sick. And I know. It sounds bad. I don't so know what that is, went, but it sounds terrible. Just the words. It's plastic, basically. It's basically um, you can't. Your body can't break it down. Right. So it it went hard, <sighs> um, and um, so the only way I could get rid of it was basically have it surgically oh, God, removed. Really. So, Nightmare. but anyway, the whole thing was it, it was just in those days the press were terrible um and uh, they used to just pap- paparazzis used to follow you everywhere and we were on holiday in Mallorca and I was in the pool and just blowing out oh. like that and they took took a picture and that's how it all started really basically uh, but it was relentless yes. it was, it was yeah. every single so day cool. and it then started to really affect yeah. me because it inf- affected my kids and they got really embarrassed you know they had to go to school and and um, put up with all, all that. Um, so anyway, afterwards they, they started to stop that because in 2004 something worse happened, which was, um, um, I went to hospital with uh, two broken ribs and um, instead of um, them just 
some fluid had got into my lungs and so they had to put a drain in and instead of just numbing the area where they put the drain in they said oh um have you got private uh insurance i said yes they said okay well we can do this but we can do it via an epidural we'll leave the epidural needle in so you can uh sort your pain out and stuff like that and it was a that was a friday uh and i had the weekend and what had happened in over the weekend the needle had come out and the infection had got in straight directly into my oh, spinal God. column. And I kept saying, oh, this is really burning. And, and it was damp. And they said, well, there's not an anaesthetist in, until Monday. So finally, an anaesthetist came and he said, oh, you've got a nasty boil there, which meant infection, pus and stuff yeah. like that. Still didn't flag it up. If they had given me antibiotics and kept me in, I would be fine today but they didn't they um they discharged me i went home and then 48 hours later i was <laughs> i was um paralyzed from the chest down i, I could, just you know, literally could, <sighs> it's just literally brutal. paralyzed so wow. literally uh, you know i had to go back into hospital and i had about two hours i can see charing cross hospital from where i live um I got in there at two o'clock in the morning and they had, to, uh, they had to operate on me straight away because the infection was going, heading to my brain. And um, so it was like ridiculous. Lee and I were standing there and he said, oh, well, you, you should prepare for the worst, you know, and say goodbye, basically. And I remember looking up at Lee going, what the f*** is happening? How did we get here? And uh, then, bang, I was under, um, and they were operating on me. And um, so this weird woman came in to see me one day uh, while I was in, um, in hospital. <laughs> was she Scottish? She had this... <laughs> yeah, she was. Mm-hmm. She said, she, she said um, how are you? And I said, oh, I'm fine, you know, but she, she could see that, you know. I, was, I had to be hoisted out of yeah, bed and was stuff intense, like that. Man. And uh, she came in with this book... And a, a comedy pen. <laughs> it was a purple flamingo, <laughs> fluffy pen. Right. And she said, she said, here, you've got nothing to do for, for a while. Write. Write everything down, you know. And I, do you know what? That was a saving grace for me. I wrote everything down so I, and I didn't forget it. And so when it came to writing the book, I had reams and reams of these intense, quite sad feelings and anger and then... Your fear and everything just in, in this one. It was all documented yeah, there for you docu- to refer to. Which it wouldn't have been to. if it hadn't have been for Lynn, actually. Cheers, mate. Yeah. Because when that happened, I automatically thought that I would probably go straight back into work because I thought, oh, you know, in, in, in my day, if, if someone broke their leg uh, while they were filming, oh, it was, we'll shoot mm. around it. Yeah. So that meant, you know, no income and, you know, that's why... I, I suppose uh, Lee and I got so involved with, with bars, really. Mm-hmm. He became my carer at Teatro when, and uh, we just concentrated on the one we've got in Clapham, and then he got one in, in King's Road. That must have been difficult, Leslie, because, you know, not only is it, you know, your income and everything else, it's also all you've known. It's what, it's, you know, you've been an actress since you were, what, know. four years old, so... To be able to earn money right from the age of mm. 15, mm. I mean, I, I just, that's the way I was brought up. You know, you had to, 
you you know you, at one point you had to leave the house and you you had to make your own mm-hmm. way that was it yeah you, you, there was no living off mum and dad that's for sure um so i felt sort of like a bit you know irrelevant really i had to sort of find what what i had to do um so anyway in that same year in 2004 then my dad passed away as well <laughs> We were working around the time you went to hospital and I had a load of stuff, really personal stuff about you that that we were working on, right? And I said to Mark, I, I think we're going to have to like put it in a safety deposit box or something like that because the, it felt like every day there was something in the paper that went deeper in and further in and mm. somebody that used to know you who once had a coffee with you somewhere in, in Spain had some attitude about who you... I mean, it was... I was terrified. The thing that you don't know mm-hmm. is that when I brought you the pen and the book, I was terrified for you because it was like the the vitriol was extraordinary. And looking at things now, you know, when we're in this place of me too, that um, I'm like, yeah, what what pain, happened there? Well, it was really bully. Mm-hmm. If somebody's paralysed from the chest down, that really isn't the time to have a go. There really isn't yeah. the time yeah. to have a go. But that was the whole point. It didn't matter, though, was it? It was feeding frenzy on you, Leslie, for a certain amount of years, and yeah. it didn't matter. Didn't matter what it was. That it was just someone they decided they were going to have a go at. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And it, as I say, in those days, it was, it was, it was, it was relentless. But I, I felt, you know, also with. Poor Lee as well, with yeah, because yeah, right. You know, it was it was like that when that when the first time it, when it happened. Um, I mean, I could I could say it, I, I I fell out of bed. Yeah. I was, okay, I was drunk. I was drunk, but we weren't being passionate together. <laughs> and I fell out of bed, and I, I I landed on the bedside table. The corner of the bedside table broke two ribs. Okay, and so. I was in the ambulance and I said, oh, where's Lee? And they said, oh, they've arrested him. Oh, for f***'s sake. <laughs> it just keeps going. This just gets worse yeah. and worse. I went, why have you arrested him? You know, I went, oh, well, but, you know, because... He obviously you know, broke we, your ribs, is that He what? obviously broke my ribs, yeah. And so, anyway, they had to apologise to him when, and, and released him. But, you know, the press then just went crazy. And... They were in the, outside the hospital, so I was told that I had to make a statement, otherwise they were just yeah. going to just go crazy. So stupid me, who had a publicity guy called um, uh, Neil Redding at the time, said, look, I've set up an interview with Piers Morgan. Oh, my God, no! <laughs> what a choice. <laughs> no! So I said to him, and I did know Piers, actually, at the time, you know, and uh, I said, look, Piers, this is really weird, but please don't blame it on Lee because it was, we were actually being passionate at the time. And he, that was it. Leslie, sex get, injury. You know, accident. Is that what he did? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, know. Rough oh, sex. Yeah. Oh, Rough sex. He's but a- actually, the, the other stuff in that, like, there was, it taught me a big lesson then. It taught me a lesson about friendship, which is when they need you, you like shut your mouth and be with them. Mm. Right? Yeah. And actually stand up for what you believe in, even if it's not popular with other people. We had a dinner party. Mm. I never told you this at the time. Wouldn't have. Um, but we had a dinner party at the house. In fact, I've been talking about dinner parties lately yeah. and how they've been disastrous in my house. I think I might have to just stop. I was going to say, you did actually parties. admit the other day to hosting the worst dinner party in the world. I did. The worst dinner party I ever went to, I hosted I in my own there. house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, there was a, the wife of um, 
one of Mark's friends got into it because she'd read something in the paper about you, right? And she was like, she deserves it. And she's like, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, and I said very quietly. And I, and I said, well, you know what? She speaks very highly of you, right? <laughs> so I was like, come. And then there was that da-da-da-da-da at the table. And um, her, her point was... Uh, I don't. I, I actually don't really understand her anger, but I, but what I feel like what was going on with her was, and and the other thing that drove me crazy about it is she was like a proper pro women thing, right? Oh. But there was something that happened at that time where I don't know whether it was jealousy, I don't know whether it was like envy of success, I don't know whether it was that people perceived you'd had an easy life. Which again comes mm. back to that thing of not actually knowing someone at all, mm-hmm. but th- but yeah. it felt like they were waiting, and and it taught like yeah. I never saw that woman again afterwards. She was persona non grata, because you're like be honest about your feelings, mm. and actually if you hate somebody that you don't know, who hasn't like started a war in Afghanistan or something like that, who isn't like sexually abusing kids, who basically you know screwed up when it came to a like a surgical procedure and then got really seriously ill if that's your reason for hating them have a word I with think yourself that so, there's something to, to mm. do with the kind of psyche in in this country that people like that they're very cynical aren't they the people like it when when people f- you know fall flat on their face i mean you know I, obviously i had nothing to what you what happened to you leslie but i had a little bit of that myself Piers mm. morgan on my back and bad press and you know it feels relentless and my mum crying because of you know they're not being nice to you and all that stuff so i mean i, I understand mm. it and i honestly think that there's just there are sways of the british public that you know delight in people's um you know, misfortune. misfortune. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know if it's a jealousy thing or what, but it's it's kind of part of what we are as... You I know, was going to say, do you think it's a culture? Yeah, is it? I do. It, I really do, because it's not like that in America, for sure. Oh, it's worse here, though. <laughs> There's a thing, because I agree with you totally, but and, and I also have the virtue of not being in that place with you, right? Like, I, I've never been, like, the level of famous of you guys, and I've never had to deal with that tabloid thing. Although I will say that because of Craig, I yeah, have dealt with, with our family, I've dealt with... Well, yeah, that and also, like, because every time I do an interview and Craig is brought up, they always say she's intensely jealous of Craig. And I'm like, really, Emma? I didn't even mention him. What was the deal? Like, if somebody asked me, I go, he can speak on his own. You can ask him stuff. I don't need to ask. But the one that happened to me is when, or happened to us as a family, uh, was that when my dad died, uh, my mother was suddenly left on her own after 49 years of of, li- of being married to this man. And she was like pottering about the house while my sister was at the Tesco or something. And the press came and knocked on her door and wanted a statement from my mother about the death of her husband, like three days after her uh, husband of, you know, 49 years had died. Um, I, I don't agree that... Um, that the British public are necessarily like that. I do believe that there is a, a manipulation of the British public the press. through, like people make money out of uh, of entertainment, mm. and the part of the thing that they buy, it sort of comes around to that stuff about the nudity thing, where you go no nudity. 
if you've got someone standing by you at the time, you can say that. But actually, there's an area where an entertainer is seen as being someone um, that's not a three-dimensional person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what really sickened me about that f***ing woman at the dinner party, where I was like, you're talking about somebody that you don't even know. You man. don't know. Like, you have opinions about somebody you've never met. Yeah. Who turns out to be a friend of mine? Yeah. You know. But th- this is it. It's very, very hypocritical because there's certain journalists out there that, you know, are on TV programmes talking about how terrible it is that people are suffering from mental mm. health. And to be honest, they were the very people that actually gave me a problem mm-hmm. in the first place. You know, for whatever mental health problems I was going through, it was because it was they were being relentlessly terrible yeah. to me. You know? I don't know how you did so, it. I yeah. really, genuinely, well, strong, I was scared person, during that you know, time. Do you feel like you're stronger for it? Well, I, I've got an incredibly grounded husband. Very, you know, my two kids are very grounded. They just won't let. They don't give you sympathy. They they give you love. They give you affection, <laughs> but they don't give you any sympathy. I mean, like when I came out of hospital, I'd be sitting there with got my crutches, and I'd say, "Oh, Max, just pass me that." This is when they were living at home, obviously. Oh, Max, pass me that. And you go, give it yourself, you know, <laughs> you know, and you go. Actually, he's right. So they don't molly cuddle me. They don't feel sorry for me. Um, you know, if I start going through a stage of feeling sorry for myself, which I had done really, because I'm getting to a stage in my life now where I'm not improving uh, my 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 walking and stuff like that isn't improving. It's you know, it's basically it is what it is now, um, and you know, it makes me feel a bit down, you know. But uh, and they go, you know, stop feeling sorry for yourself, and it's true, and I, and I it definitely pulls you out of that. I mean, they love me and they're very mm. close to me and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, they don't um, give you a hell of a lot of sympathy, which I think is, is is fine. Too many people, you know, you watch TV, we watch a hell of a lot of news. And, and even on Instagram and stuff like that, everyone's feeling sorry for everyone all yeah. the time. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Just, yeah, oh, God, it really drives me mad, you know, these personal feelings and these little things that you... You know, these little sayings, you know, these, <laughs> you know, be true to yourself or, you know. Lead your best life. I've hated that since the 70s. Yeah. The one that I remember, in fact, I've always hated, they call, did they call them memes or something? Are they? All right. Like there was a, yeah, there was a thing, a Garfield uh, poster in the 1970s in Cumbernauld and I remember seeing it. Uh, in one of the, like, card shops, you know, when they have those card shops with the things. And Athena. it said... Yeah, something like that, where it's all like cuddly toys and shit to collect yeah. dust and stuff like that, right? And it had uh, this cat hanging from a poster, and it said, "I'm not overweight, I'm under tall." And as I walked by, I was like, "That, oh, f- off!" <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's that stuff of just take it. Like yeah. because then the reason I hated it so much was I was like, in whose world? Like mm. you're overweight or under tall, depending on your own perspective. So, Leslie, we've got you on a show and we're talking about strength. So I feel I'd love to just mention to you and, and, and get some feedback. You've had two huge legal battles in your life. You've had the NHS and Murdoch, right? Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How could you forget about really? that? I would have thought that would be such a, like, a, you know, a triumph. Yeah, no, it was, it was very... I mean, the, with the first one, with the NHS, no one wants to sue mm. the NHS. Mm. I, I certainly didn't want to yeah. sue the NHS. 
but it was the 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 way that they just would not say it was their fault um and which which had all sorts of horrible things because obviously I had to pay for my insurance booper and stuff like that which you know they were they couldn't cover everything you know um so I mean I had I literally I had to sue them for loss of mm. earnings um because I wasn't working I had two kids at, at school I you know I had things I wanted to do with my mm. life uh, it would have been very, very different. And they would not admit that they were responsible. So I literally had to, um, had to go have a conversation with the lawyer to see if, 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 if I had a case. And she couldn't believe it. She just went, yes, yeah, mm-hmm. you do have a case. Mm-hmm. And so it started. But to be honest, I mean, I got a lot of stick for... Or, um, well, there's a surprise. You got the, some stick the, yeah. <laughs> out of the blue. Eh? Yeah. I mean, to get a settlement of the amount I did was literally worked out by their lawyers. Mm. Um, that that's what I wouldn't would have made in that period of time. That's how it works out. In fact, I probably would have earned more, but um, that's uh, what I got, and I, I settled on 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 that. And um, I just I'm pleased I did. But to the outside world, oh, I mean, oh my. God, I got some horrible things said about me because, uh, you know, I'd sued for, you know, and got that amount of money. Um, People just didn't think I deserved it or whatever. But, you know, I am not the only person who's had to sue the NHS. They they are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But every single day they, they have enormous amounts of payouts that they have to do because they they're fallible, they're negligent. And so... You know, you you have to. You have to make them accountable for for things like that. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. And what about the yeah. Murdoch case, Leslie? Oh. Tell us about that. The Murdoch was, I mean, quite. Um, it was. You remember Max course, Clifford? Well. He was on TV. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was on TV, and he was talking about. That was the first time I ever heard uh, this um, coming to fruition. This. Um, you know, phone hacking um and then i remember that it was Pier- i think it was piers mm. morgan that said to us in passing you should get one of these pay for these phones uh that you pay and pay and go pay or whatever go, yeah. yeah pay as you go ones because they can't hack into these we just thought what the <laughs> right. hell are you talking knew, about he knew. he knew and so so therefore you know when this all came out i saw watched max clifford talking about it and I'd never met Max Clifford, and I got his got in contact with his company and said, you know, could he phone me back? And he said, look, he said uh, he did phone me back, and he said, look, yeah, he was um, using a uh, a lawyer in Manchester called um, Charlotte Harris, and um, she she was doing working his case, you know, and so she found out that there was a list. Uh, of celebrities that were being phone hacked but and the police knew about them but they wouldn't give any tell you about any evidence that they had um they you i well god it's a long story but we had to go to the court pay something like twelve thousand pounds to get this 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 thing this order that the police had to give all the celebrities, not just me, right. all the celebrities, the evidence. They had, they they had to give them to that give, evidence. To, to make it available. They were yeah. forced to give it. So 
Yeah, we, we were called in to the um, Scotland Yard and uh, they give you these pieces of paper and said, does this mean anything to you? Does this mean anything to you? And there was like all this information, you know, these numbers. Uh, that was my agent, my cleaning lady. There were teachers. There were um, obviously my kids. Uh, just horrific. And just it was endless, this list of phone numbers that, that, that they'd got. And uh, then there was this other thing. It, it said... It looked like Fulham, and it was Leslie Chapman. And I looked at it, and I went, that's not Fulham, that's Soham. And so Leslie Chapman was one of the, the, the two girls that were murdered um, in Soham. By oh, Ian, the Soham Huntley, right. yeah. yeah. One of the kids', kids fathers were called, uh, was called Leslie Chapman. And um, so I said, that's Soham. And so they realised then that... Their, their phones had been oh, hacked. That's just oh, disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. terrible. So, God, you know, yeah, I was quite pleased that we... Yeah, I know. I was quite pleased that we could have actually exposed quite a few things um, of that. And that sort of put paid to the end of, of all that uh, terrible that way of... Um, you can't even call it, you know, journalism. No, journalism really. no. It's just it's horrific. No. The thing with that as well, I, I want to tell a story which is, it's not my story and I'm not going to do a name in it, but <clears throat> there was someone I was working with who had come to the house, you know, in LA and um, he had, he's very well known in Britain and had been going through something. <clears throat> it's not Alfred Molina, so if you're thinking it's him, <laughs> it's not him, right? And it's not Chesney uh, Holtz either. It's not Chesney <laughs> Holtz either. Um, but he had been going through something in his own, like uh, his life was going through quite a big change and he, I think he was getting sober at the time. He had stuff going on, he had a struggle and he was struggling with his own mental health anyway, just like um, trying to right size things and not think people were talking about him and whatever. And, and what happened to him was that they started printing stuff in the paper that he had only ever told his wife, right? And so then he was like, he couldn't, he couldn't work it out, mm. right? And so then him and his wife started to have issues because he was like, are you selling stories? How are you doing this stuff? What are you doing? Are you like, you're, having, you're not being like honest with me and all that stuff. And, and he said the thing that drove him craziest, the worst part of it was because what they'd done is they'd hacked a phone and they were taking conversations that he would have with his wife and printing everything that he said it took everything from him it nearly took mm. the only relationship that was keeping him alive mm. and I, I think mm. so when we talk about phone hacking I think it's that it can easily go into that thing about oh well it's a celebrity they're used to the attention you know they should go over it yeah. blah 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 yeah. but like the it. idea yeah the concept that somebody would think that it was okay to get into in between anybody else's closest personal relationship and not be honest about it yeah. is it's, is mm, horrific it's just horrific. so wrong it's so wrong mm. well that's yeah. it i mean i remember piers morgan saying you know oh leslie you know you know she complains about stories that are written about her but you know really you know she's in this line of work where you should expect these things. Like no, I didn't. I didn't. 
I didn't go into it. I didn't not go into this business to be a celebrity. No. I honestly, yeah. I did no. not. I wanted to be a famous actress, yes. <laughs> but I didn't no, want to I be a celebrity. I'm the same. I went. I started this because I wanted to play guitar and sing. You know, that's what I wanted to do. Write yeah. songs. I didn't want to be that yeah. guy. But, you know, that's no, the thing about, you know, exactly. you become a celebrity. But, um, what is a celebrity? It's a famous person, right? That's all, that's all it means, right? Mm, Isn't it? Yeah. So if you're famous, you're a celebrity. That's, that's the same thing. Cheers, you ended up being known as the guy whose mum threw a pint of beer over Piers Morgan, weren't you, basically? Actually, Dad. Oh, your dad? Yeah, he did. He poured a pint of lager over Piers' head at the Ivan Novellos. <laughs> God. <laughs> that's for being it's mean to my boy. It's interesting, though, that if uh, Piers Morgan were to experience even a tenth mm, of, what, of what other people, yeah, of what you had been through, it, it's like, it, it's interesting because the, the people, this is, it comes back to me to that, that dinner party with uh, saying to her, well, she speaks very highly of you. Of you. <laughs> that the, um, people talking about other people like they're not human like the by the nature of being famous it means that you uh give a right give away your right to humanity or empathy yeah. or anything like that like i would love to see that uh him go through just a little bit I agree. of what's going through because uh, the, the thing for me being on the other side like because i'm always just with my back to the wall with my famous pals and all that is the thing that I've noticed is the people that seem to have had the roughest time are always sort of the gentlest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> just yeah. We gentle people going about their day, not really bothered. And then you get people who are complete bastards where you're like, don't bring them round. I don't <laughs> want to have, they're not getting a quiche in my house, man. <laughs> and then they seem to like plain sail it. I'm like, I don't, I don't really I get it, you know. I know, there's pe people that I've met in my business and... To be honest, it actually really surprises me that the, the, the nice people that are easy to get along mm. don't seem to be as successful as the right <laughs> utter arsehole. Yeah. The, the more uh, arsey uh, you are yeah. and horrible and yeah. difficult, yeah. the more you work. Apart from Fred Molina, yeah. I have to say, who's possibly um, the most like, nice there are guy in the world. Of course, to that rule. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Though I remember being told a story about a guy, a very famous actor or a TV <laughs> actor over there, right? <laughs> and it was sort of known in the industry that it would be difficult to work with this person, but this person would always have their own show because they were friendly with the person who was the head of the TV company that the blah, 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 right? They played golf together. And the story that they told me, right, and it was told by a very reasonable, uh, I think it was the first AD or something like that, right? So somebody whose job is just to be reasonable and not cause alarm, yeah. right? And they said that this person had come on set, picked up a paper cup, peed in it, right, on set, like just stepped down, peed in it, and then handed it to a runner and said, deal with that. <laughs> it was oh, just nice. like, yeah. Oh, I, Whoa. I've heard, I've heard about, I mean, I've, you know who it is, I've heard right? about you that. Know who no, 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 I don't know who that is, but I, I don't know anyone who would pee in a oh, cup. Oh, well, we'll talk about that not in the podcast because we're <laughs> not getting But sued. I have to say, I actually got a bad, bad name once. There was a, a third, second AD on, on, was it Cat Size? Oh, God. Yeah, I think it was Cat Size. Oh, yeah, it was on Cat Size. And we used to, the thing is, is when you're working on something like that, you're in all day, right from the start to the end. And so you get called in at seven o'clock to go into makeup. 
Now, the crew get called in at seven o'clock to go to breakfast. Mm. And they do these amazing breakfasts. So I went in early so that I could have breakfast. So I got in at quarter to seven. And they said, oh, no, we don't start breakfast till seven o'clock. I'm sorry. <laughs> and so I said, right, OK. So I'm in, in the Winnebago. And then the, the second AD knocks on the door and says, uh, Leslie, can we have you in makeup? And I went, I am not leaving this Winnebago until I have my post eggs. <laughs> That's how you get reputations, Leslie. <laughs> and that is, that is the first and only time I listened to myself and I went, I don't believe I just said that. I can't believe I just said that. I'm so sorry. And I ushered myself into, into the makeup trap. Oh, God. Otherwise, now referred to in social circles as poached egg ash. Poached egg ash. Egg I think it's probably time for our little musical interlude. We we have a we have a, a moment oh. in our podcast where we ask our fabulous guests, and this week it's you, it's obviously, um, to pick a song that means something to them, um, either a happy song or a sad song. Doesn't really matter. Um, and uh, and then I get to recreate uh, this song for you as a gift for you for coming on the show with us. Uh, and uh, and so, tell us the song that you chose, and then we'll play my version of it for you guys, and then and then we can talk about it. So, what was the song you chose? This is what I can actually choose. Ah, yeah, they're not Oh, porch egg ash. No, it's Creep by Radiohead. When you were here before, I couldn't look you in the eye. Just like an angel Your skin makes me cry You float like a feather In a beautiful world I wish I was special So fucking special But I'm a creep I'm a weirdo What the hell am I doing here? I'm a 
Ash, that was Chesney Hawks performing Creep. Oh, oh, that was absolutely brilliant. That suits your voice so well. <laughs> well done, mate. Oh, do you know that bit in the where you go, ah? Yeah. Have you ever heard the Hollies? Uh, yeah. It's um. Yeah. The air that I breathe. Right. It's exactly the same. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, no, th- thank, thank you for so choosing much. that song. That I, I love that song. Um, it's funny because we've done so many songs, um, you know, during the, the course of this um, podcast. And, I, and I've, I've been in L.A. in my studio for, for all of them uh, to, to recreate them all. Uh, and this one, um, I was actually, I'm here in, in England right now. And I was in my parents' spare room. <laughs> And uh, yeah. it, I was jet lagged, so I'd only just kind of got, got in, and it was like two in the morning or something. And I just couldn't sleep, and I knew, and I knew I had to record this somehow. And I and I had a little this microphone here and a little guitar, and I did it live. But like, I suddenly realised that when it, I thought, oh, creep, that's good. I can do it quiet, you know. I won't wake, wake mum and dad up. And then I yeah. realised it gets to that. Oh! And I'm like, and I was halfway <laughs> through it, and I was thinking, shit, I'm gonna wake. Did mu- you get the? the- <laughs> Dad's deaf Be as a quiet. post, you know. He's got he's got his hearing aids out anyway. Oh, yeah. But like, I was just thinking, my mum's like the lightest sleeper, and I, I thought, well, I'm already into it now, so I've just got to keep going, you know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mention it. It's so. very funny. That's the, that's the bit I love just singing yeah. my oh, heart out. It's so too, passionate. Right? But the 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 lyrics. I mean, I just try and put myself into the head of of you know who, who wrote yeah, the guy. Yeah, Tom wrote Tom it. York. Um, Tom. Yeah. yeah, Tom York. 
And it just gives me shivers that the the lyrics of that. Are yeah. Just yeah, it's it's an amazing song. It really. Is. I suppose I put myself in that position. You know, just um, I, f- I feel a bit of. I used to love you know, dancing around in high heel shoes. Yeah. You know, looking very glamorous and stuff like that. And I I do tend to to be a bit the weirdo. <laughs> the weirdo now. Yeah. No, I do. Yeah. No, I do. So, you were um, always yeah, a weirdo, just so you know. Are. You were always know, a weirdo. Yeah, we're all mental <laughs> yeah, so weirdos. It's, it's particularly poign- yeah. poignant, I suppose, yeah. in a way. Right, <laughs> I need to wrap this up. Leslie, thank you so much for giving us the time and sharing with That's us lazy, and your yeah. vulnerability. And what a great episode on strengths, because I think you are... Um, yeah, pretty good advocate strong. for that. Strong. I want you back in another thing. You need to think of another topic because we can have, like the thing okay. is, is you can talk for hours about stuff. I know, and, I know. Right? Just twitter. There you go. We'll have you back now. Please don't push hang up. But we are going to say goodbye, Leslie Ash. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so us. much, Leslie. Leslie, so thank you for taking thank the you, time. Thank you, Chesney, for my lovely song. Oh. You're welcome, and thank you for my uh, teenage years. <laughs> oh, you're very welcome. <laughs> Sorry about that. I didn't mean to leave you with that image. But... <laughs> She's so lovely. You know, yeah. it's a joy actually to be able to get uh, Leslie on the show because I uh, I do really feel like the the that people have a perception of her that is really not the truth. Mm, like I agree. She just, properly as a really decent human being you know what i'd say about leslie this totally sums it up like whenever you're doing a a work thing right if you're doing a work thing or you're working you know like gathering together or something she's always the one to bring like the cakes or the donuts she always goes the extra yeah yeah she's the one who's like oh i just thought i'd bring a wee bit of lovely for everybody that's totally Uh, leslie but then i suppose with everything she's been through i mean she must be she must her personality must have become just totally guarded all the time because wherever she's gone, whatever she's tried to do, she's had a, had a kick in, hasn't she? And like you say, unjustly, for yeah. sure. I don't think she's like that. I mean, you met her there, right? Yeah. So she uh, she just chats. I think she probably gets herself into more trouble because she does just she does just chat, right? But her and Lee together are a brilliant combination. They really right. are. A very good match. Uh, I think we, we, we mentioned before Leslie came in of, of subject matter and 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 guest, right? Because, yeah, she has had to be strong. Yeah. A brilliant yeah. song, Chesney Hawk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When are we doing the album? Well, you know, we're gathering songs. It's a double really? album at the moment. There's 20 songs there. <laughs> <laughs> Wait for the triple album. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> See, when you said that you recorded that song in your mother's spare bedroom, your parents' spare bedroom, I was like, oh, I do feel Tom York would approve, right? It just sounds like a song that should be done in a spare bedroom. But it, again, it was something that really suited your voice, mate. It was it was beautiful. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really, really well, I good. Think, yeah. I think, well, it, was, it felt like a two-in-the-morning song. Yeah. And it makes us feel professional because no matter what's thrown at us, doesn't matter what country you're in, chairs when what we have to do with the guest what instrumentation or studio you've got <laughs> somehow we manage to get it all together yeah. with the guest got it recorded and the song <laughs> it's a f-ing miracle if you ask me it, to you be honest. it wasn't on xylophone <laughs> <laughs> Or what was it? Stylophone? Stylophone. Yeah, yeah. I've got a stylophone. I've still got one. Oh, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's a stylophone version of Creep. That would have been interesting. <laughs> Sometimes. Oh, I might have to do that. Now. Yeah, yeah, you know. Tom York would approve of that as well, right? approve of that. All right, so, team, I think we need to wrap things up then. We hope every one of you listening has enjoyed the show as much as we have. Absolutely. And if you want to tell a friend about us and give us a wee like or share on the socials, we'd be very pleased with that. We would be so happy. <laughs> so thank you for listening. Join us next week for the last show of our second series. Oh. I can't believe that. There you go. Ten skittles down. Where we will be joined for the second time, she's our repeat offender, this series, by Professor of Neuroscience Wendy Suzuki. We love her. And we're going to talk about her new book entitled Good Anxiety. So until then, ladies and gentlemen, I have been Chesney Hawks and she has been Lynn Ferguson. And he has been Neil Harrington. And we are all a bit mental. Goodbye, everyone. Oh, we are. True story. We True are. Story. Bye, everybody, Pete. You've been listening to We Are All A Bit Mental with Chesney Hawks, Lynn Ferguson, Brandon Block and Neil Harrington. Produced and edited for Source Productions by Neil Harrington with plenty of help from Lynn, Ches and Brandon.